Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the 2023 Cops and Kids Findlay Halloween Parade presented by Lone Depot is just a week away with some big changes for this year's event, and the call is going out for volunteers to help pull it off. We'll have everything you need to know. Also this morning, Public Health AmeriCorps marking its first year of helping bring much-needed care to underserved communities, and yet it's a program not many are aware of. And happening around town, Pierce's Crew Foundation, a local organization providing financial assistance to special needs kids and their families, is hosting a Halloween-themed fundraiser later this month. We have details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, October 16th, 2023. I don't know if you notice my uh, voice seems a little shaky this morning. Uh, I noticed that too. Uh, I'm not sure why that is uh, this morning. I didn't do anything over the weekend that uh, would have led to me losing my voice or straining my voice. Uh, and yet here we are this morning. It does seem like my, I don't know if you can tell, it just feels like my voice is a little rough uh, this morning. But maybe it's just because, you know, it's Monday. We'll muddle through. We'll get to, we'll get through it here. Um, by the way, speaking of uh, heading back to work on a Monday, uh, this is kind of interesting. A uh, a map created by Switch on Business shows which company workers from different countries around the world would most like to work for. At least that's the way they present this. It is based on Google search data of people looking for jobs at particular companies. So based on the amount of Google search data for jobs at such and such a company, they created a list of nations around the world and the companies that people in those countries would most like to work for. And uh, for example... In the United States, jobs at Walmart are apparently the most sought after, at least according to Google search data. Now, I'm not sure that I buy that. I'm not sure that more Americans want to work at Walmart than any other company. But according to Google search data, uh, Americans look for a, uh, look for search for jobs at Walmart more than 590,000 times per month, making it the most in-demand company to work for based on those Google searches. Again, you can interpret that how you like, but if that's the criteria that they use, then Google is the, uh, or I'm sorry, then uh, Walmart is the search, based on search, Google search uh, data, Walmart is the most sought-after company to work for in the United States. More than 590,000 searches per month, jobs at Walmart. Other popular companies in the United States include Target, the United States Postal Service, Amazon, UPS, and FedEx. Now, here's the other thing that I wonder about this data. Uh, whether it really says this is the these are the companies that people want to work for the most in the United States. When did they analyze that data? I mean, from what time period were those job searches 
analyzed. Because you notice all of those things. There are two big box retailers and then four uh, delivery companies. Well, Amazon is kind of both. But you get the idea. Delivery companies and big retailers. Well, we're coming up on the holiday season. And big retailers and delivery services are hiring for the holiday season right now. So if this was recent data, I'm guessing that it's not necessarily that more people want to work for Amazon and Walmart and UPS than any other company in the United States. But those are where the jobs are, the seasonal jobs are. So, but anyway, make of that what you will. This is their data. Switch on business, compiled this, crunch the numbers. It is kind of interesting when you look at other countries. Uh, Canadians want to work at uh, the bank. RBC was number one. And that I'd be more, I, I maybe tend to believe a little bit more than the uh, data from the U.S. Residents in the U.K. Uh, want to find a job at uh, the Tesco supermarket. That was number one in the U.K. In Australia, <laughs> this is kind of interesting. In Australia, they're looking for a job with the U.N. Jobs of the U.N. was the number one search. In Costa Rica, it's jobs at Marriott. Which, again, probably not a big surprise. Costa Rica, big tourist area. Um, That's where they get a large part of their uh, income in their country. And so a lot of people working in the hospitality industry, that would make sense to me. And in Malaysia, uh, the most sought-after job openings are with the social media giant TikTok. So... Again, make of that what you will, but I thought that was uh, kind of interesting, particularly for the uh, most uh, searched jobs in the U.S. As you're heading back to it, did you see the story over the weekend? This was this was crazy, and I don't know how this happens, but a Texas woman went viral over the weekend after sharing her experience of accidentally driving to Mexico. <laughs> accidentally driving to Mexico. She was trying to find the Home Depot. (laughs) And accidentally ended up in Mexico. I hate when that happens. I hate when that happens. (laughs) I was driving to Menards the other day, ended up in Canada. I know how it is. It's... No. Seriously, she was trying to find the Home Depot. She claims she was trying to find the Home Depot, ended up in Mexico. Uh, Trinity Jackson posted a video online explaining that she went to El Paso for a couple of weeks to spend time with her mom. And uh, in the video, she says she and her mother spent a weekend together. Um, Let's see here. She dropped her mom off at the airport. Shortly after that, mom texted her a reminder to pick up the zip ties that she had ordered from Home Depot. She said, mind you, at this point, I'm already close to the sign that I'm heading to Mexico and I put two and two together and I realize that I'm exiting America and heading for Mexico. Okay. I guess maybe I, you're not familiar with the area, but still, how do you end up in Mexico when you're trying to get to the home Depot? And how do you explain that to border patrol agents? (laughs) Fortunately, she tried to, uh, she did explain to that to the uh, border patrol agency. They, they pointed her uh, (laughs) in the right direction. No, the home Depot is that way. Uh, so she's all's well that ends well. She didn't end up trapped in Mexico, but that's, 
How did I end up here? That's crazy. Uh, let's let's see. A couple of other uh, interesting items among the first things you need to know. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Saw this over the weekend. According to a uh, new report by the American Security Project, two-thirds of American military, active American military members are either obese or overweight. Two-thirds of our military force, obese or overweight. Defense Department data suggests that the obesity rate in the military has increased from 10% to 21% over the course of the past decade. The report, again from the American Security Project, says, uh, well, obviously this could impact military readiness, they say, but the report goes on to say that it is not a moral failing, it is a health crisis. Um, In the past... The military has framed this as an issue of insufficient willpower or discipline. And they say that is counterproductive. It actually prevents soldiers from seeking and receiving treatment for what is a health crisis, a medical issue. So, again, make of that what you will. But that is really disconcerting, isn't it? That that two-thirds of the active U.S. military... Either obese or overweight. Man, that is scary. Um, Here's one more reason not to be obese or too skinny either. Apparently, research has revealed that women prefer more muscular men for their frisky flings and short-term romances. This is a study led by the University of Arkansas. They asked nearly 400 females about their thoughts on dating with the results published in the academic journal Personality and Individual Differences. I never miss an issue. I don't know about you. Um, The women were presented with photos of men with a beefy muscular physique and then were shown... Photos of scrawnier-looking guys. Most of the women in the study admitted that the muscular male was more attractive for a romantic rendezvous. However, the study concluded that the females were less shallow when it came to questions pertaining to finding a spouse or a life partner. So physique did not matter as much. But... For a fling, for a short-term romance, yeah, they want the uh, the hunky guy, the beefy, beefy-looking uh, hunky guy. Not a big surprise there. Just thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, how about this? I saw this on the uh, newswire, and I thought this is uh, this is interesting. And again, talking about people struggling with adulting, like the woman who ended up in Mexico trying to go to the Home Depot. Adulting is hard. A lot of young adults are finding out that adulting is hard when they go off to college for the very first time. And if you think about it, it's their first time living away from their their parents. And uh, in a new piece on the uh, website Insider, insider insider.com, some parents uh, shared the questions that their newly independent college students have asked them. And some of them are rather interesting. Again, keeping in mind, this is the first time that 
many of these kids uh, have gone off on their own uh, and have to be self-sufficient. Some of the inquiries included, how do I know when water is boiling? (laughs) What is my shoe size? And this is my favorite of the questions that these newly independent youngsters uh, had. How do I take my clothes out of the washing machine? Do I just reach in there with my hand? (laughs) Do I just reach in there with my hand into the washing machine? Are those wet clothes? Adulting is hard. (laughs) Uh, Admissions counselor at uh, one uh, university, uh, Rachel York is her name. She says, um, people... Uh, there aren't many times in life where everyone is new. And so the chances are there are lots of people feeling the same way. So her advice to young people who are struggling with this uh, is just ask. Because uh, while these questions may seem embarrassing, uh, if you've never had to, you've never had to know these things before, uh, it can be uh, rather daunting for the first time. So ask away. Even though it may be embarrassing. And if nothing else, you provide uh, a little levity for your parents. Uh, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> some of the most interesting... Adulting is hard, is the message this morning. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly cloudy today with a high in the mid-50s. Partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-40s. A Finley City Schools bus was involved in a crash in the area of Interstate 75 and Trenton Avenue on Friday night. The Ohio State Highway Patrol said a pickup truck was going eastbound on Trenton Avenue when it was struck by the school bus that was exiting from 75 southbound at Trenton Avenue. After impact, both vehicles went off the roadway and down an embankment, coming to rest in the southbound lanes of Interstate 75. The Highway Patrol said the school bus had 31 students on board and three were taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital with minor injuries. Also, six people in the pickup truck, including four juveniles, were taken to BVH with minor injuries. The crash remains under investigation by the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Backers of a proposal to reform Ohio's troubled political map-making system can begin collecting signatures for 2024. The Ohio Ballot Board agreed unanimously that the constitutional amendment proposed by the Citizens Not Politicians Committee constitutes a single subject. The committee now has until July 3rd to collect the roughly 414,000 signatures required to make the November 2024 ballot. The Ohio Redistricting Commission is currently comprised of three statewide office holders and four state lawmakers. The amendment would replace the commission with an independent body selected directly by citizens with members diversified by party affiliation and geography. Kate Burdett, ONN News. The Finley City Planning Commission approved the site plan for a 16-unit apartment building. The plan that was approved for the apartment building on West McPherson Avenue was downsized from the original plan. Initially, the plan called for a 24-unit apartment building on the south side of McPherson Avenue, a little east of Heard Avenue. See an artist's rendering of what the apartment building will look like in the story on our website. The Finley Trojans football team with a big win at Whitmer Friday night. Two up top, two to the near side, pressure off the end. Finley throws, complete to Raglan. He has a Hanneman funeral home first down, shakes the tackler, heads up the sideline, into the end zone, touchdown Trojans. With the win, the Trojans are now 7-2 and two on the season. They host Northview on Friday night. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchak for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. 
If you were with us on the program on Friday, uh, we were mentioning my wife and I are going to once again be uh, hosting our broadcast of the 2023 Cops and Kids Finley Halloween Parade presented by Lone Depot. And it is about a week away. It's a week uh, from tomorrow. Uh, Teresa White, the uh, Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation is uh, with us this morning. Things starting to really come together now, I guess. They right? are. We're very excited. This morning, I giggled like a schoolgirl when I got the 10-day forecast. And as of <laughs> right now, everybody hold their breath. It's I don't know if be... you want to say it. Because Maybe. you might jink it, jinx it. We but, don't want to do that. Yeah. But we've, we've had glorious well, let's weather. Put it this way. Let's put it this way. If you look ahead at the 10-day forecast for next Tuesday... It's pretty encouraging. It is we'll very just, encouraging. We'll just leave it at that. We it don't is. want to say too much. No. Jinx it. Can't jinx it. But, <laughs> it is, but you know as well as I do that it really doesn't matter what the weather is. People will come out for this because people always come out for this. It's one of the things that, uh, and I often tell the story, the very first Halloween parade uh, when I moved to Finley, it was back in 95, and I'm thinking a Halloween parade late October at night in Northwest Ohio, and it was freezing, it was raining, and I was amazed at how many people uh, were there. It is just, it's a community tradition. It absolutely is. You know, the the FOP Foundation was blessed to take on the parade in 2021, mm-hmm. and I am blessed to stand on the stol- the shoulders of giants. The the parade is something, it's one of Finley's oldest mm-hmm. single day family traditions in the city. And we're just very blessed that it's a fundraiser for our foundation. All proceeds go to the Cops and Kids Champion Fund, ensuring that we have positive interaction between youth and law enforcement for years to come. And I want to talk a little bit about that uh, here in just a bit. Let's talk about the parade because there are some changes this year. First of all, uh, record number, you were saying before we went on the air, record number of entrants. This is going to be a huge parade. Well, again, we don't want to make anybody upset this early in the morning, so we're not going to say that we're changing the parade. We are, there are no changes to the parade. We're updating it. <laughs> updating it. Yes, we're making some updates to the parade. We do have a record number of entries this year. We're very excited. We still have a goal of keeping the parade to under 90 minutes, which it has been the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, We have a couple of updates, though. One of the things that came back in our surveys was that our parade participants who work so hard on their parade entries didn't know who was judging or from where they were judging or when that was happening. Mm -hmm. So our good friends at State Bank stepped in and in partnership with KT Rental, we've developed State Bank Judges Square, which will be at the intersection of Maine and Baldwin. Okay, Uh, We will have five esteemed judges on an elevated platform eating a fabulous dinner catered by Lisa at the Baker's Cafe. Can't beat that. Absolutely not. I hope she brings brownies. I'm very excited. (laughs) Um, And they'll be judging floats from there. And KT Rental is going to light up the intersection so that we can make sure that they can see everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, yours truly will be broadcasting live from there. We're yes. very excited about that. Yep, that's where we'll be, which is uh, going to be kind of nice. One of the fee- things that we got from our feedback of the uh, live stream, because we also live stream it on our Facebook page, uh, was that where we were before was a little more dimly lit. It was uh, kind of hard to see. So that will make it a little bit easier for uh, folks to see in the uh, live stream, too. So Absolutely. And our friends at Dean Sound are going to help those that are nearby Judges Square be able to hear the live broadcast. Um, and we have quite <laughs> so a pressure script is for, on. Absolutely. We have quite a script written for you with all of the details. So mm-hmm. we'll be able to emcee the parade this year. We're very yeah. excited about yeah. it. Uh, and then the other update uh, that people need to know about, 
uh, has to do with the candy because, again, that's a big part of the parade. And I know a lot of fig- uh, folks, particularly young people, go down uh, for the candy and doing that a little bit differently this year. So candy is actually being done exactly the same way that it always has been. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we are just naming it this year. Okay. Our friends at South Branch Solar have um, have graciously agreed to lend their name to the candy drop zone. Okay. This is an event put on by an organization of law enforcement officers for the benefit of children. So safety has to be paramount. Right. Uh, So we do not have the volunteers to police parade goers in the staging areas and before the parade begins. So we have to very strictly limit where candy is distributed. So it will not be distributed in the staging areas this year. Okay. So no candy will be distributed on Lake Cascades or south of Lake Cascades on South Main Street. So in the past, you actually had folks uh, who were going through the staging areas that collecting candy and that won't won't be able to do that. That will not be happening. We can't have folks lining up in the intersection either. We've got giant tanker trucks that need to make that turn onto South Main Street. Okay. And we have to be as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. So the, the parade route is the entire candy drop zone Okay. which is from Lake Cascades all the way north on South Main Street all the way to Lima Avenue. Okay. Uh, so that's the uh, the place to be. Everything. Give us the uh, details now. This is a week from tomorrow. It is. So it is Tuesday the what is 24th. It, the 24th. Yep. Um, begins. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Parade stops off. Uh, Steps off at 7 p.m. at the intersection of Lake Cascades and South Main Street. Mm-hmm. Marches northbound all the way to Lima Avenue mm-hmm. um, at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, October 24th. Okay. And uh, so, it's it, as always going to be a, a lot of fun. Like we said, a, a huge uh, turnout uh, in terms of the number of floats, the number of uh, businesses and organizations that are participating, which is always fun to see. Um and the proceeds, this, again, you we were talking before we went on the air, this will provide about one-third of the funding for what it is that you do year-round, right? Absolutely. So all proceeds go to the Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation's uh, Cops and Kids Champion Fund. We have four different programs that we fund year-round. Um, our marquee program is Cops and Kids Go Shopping, and that's coming up in December, And that's where we work with the local schools to identify kids who could use a positive interaction with law enforcement or maybe need a little extra help at Christmas. Mm -hmm. And we give them $200 and their own private policeman to go shopping (laughs) and have a fabulous morning. Yeah. Um, So that is our marquee program that's coming up soon. And the parade funds that. And it also funds our three other programs. And... Real briefly, talk a little bit about some of those other things uh, that you do, because again, the Cops and Kids Go Shopping is kind of the the marquee event everybody knows about, and we see the pictures uh, from that, and maybe folks have seen the Cops and the Kids out shopping uh, in the past, uh, and, and it is really cool, uh, but what are some of the other things that you do throughout the year? So it's more than just that. It is more than just that. So we have Cops and Kids Get Involved. And that's kind of like our umbrella program. Any one of our members that we have that wants to get involved with any sort of cause that has to do with children. Say, for example, getting involved with 4-H or maybe coaching a softball team. Um, we've done a kickball game with the kids at the Y a time or two. Different things like that. We want to make sure that money is no barrier for that. So we want to be able to step in and anytime our cops want to get involved, that would be cops and kids get involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have cops and kids get creative, which is a lot of fun. We have partnerships with local businesses where the police officers and our members, they create art with the kids. And it's just a great way to have a positive interaction with the children. So we're Mm -hmm. pretty excited about that. Yeah. And soon we will be having cops and kids go to college. 
uh, which is a scholarship in the name of Officer Doug Akers, who we lost in 2018. And on the other end of that, we have Cops and Kids Go Back to School. This, honestly, even though Cops and Kids Go Shopping is quite amazing, Mm -hmm. Cops and Kids Go Back to School is my favorite program. It is our only program that we have that is for members only. And member support is crucial. Uh, We have to make sure that we keep our officers mentally healthy and we have to keep their families strong. And we provide a picnic to the kids and the families right before school starts every year. Nice private location. We get everybody together. We feed them as much as they can possibly handle. (laughs) Provide the kids with all the school supplies that they need for a successful school year. Very cool. Uh, Also do back to school haircuts, massages, swimming. And we provide mental health resources that are law enforcement centered so that anybody in the family, if anybody in the family is needing it, they know exactly where to go. Seems like the least we can do for uh, those families that uh, dedicate their lives keeping us safe uh, in the community. So, again, the funding from the Halloween parade uh, makes most of this possible. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. We're very grateful for the support of the community following the parade. Actually, the week after the parade, we will be starting our ask. Yeah, I I was going to ask because, uh, you know, again, cops and kids uh, go shopping for Christmas Mm -hmm. is the next big thing. And you roll right from the Halloween parade into that. Yes. No rest for the wicked. I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) To pull a Halloween reference. Yes. Got a reference there. Yes. Immediately following the parade, the week after, we will be sending out our letters to all of our um, all of our loyal donors, just reminding them that should you choose to support the foundation again this year, Mm -hmm. it is time. Yeah. Um, So we will be asking for for our donations and for everyone to just to do what they can to fund those positive interactions between youth and law enforcement because our kids are our future. And then you'll also start uh, determining, you know, the the kids that will go shopping with the cops at yes. that point? Yes. Yeah. We've already started getting emails from the local schools. Okay. Um, and that is where the referrals come from. Gotcha. Uh, we work with the schools, with the teachers, with the counselors to determine those children. Okay. Halloween Parade, the 2023 Cops and Kids Finley Halloween Parade presented by Lone Depot. It is uh, next Tuesday. Again, begins at 7 o'clock. Yes, it does. All right. We will see you there and uh, more information on our webpage. Go to, by the way, you're still looking for volunteers, right, for the parade? We are. It takes a lot of volunteers um, to put on the Halloween Parade. And so we are still looking for volunteers to do setup, cleanup. Now, I'm sure you can imagine there's quite a few candy wrappers left in the street afterwards. <laughs> Just a few, I'm guessing. Just a few. So yeah. we do need a hand with that. The website is fortfinleyfop20.org backslash parade. And if you would like to register, if you still have a float that you haven't registered for the parade, you have until midnight tomorrow night to get that in. Okay. And you can also find volunteer information there as well. Okay. We've got the link up at goodmornings.net. Uh, volunteers are the other thing that we wanted to mention. Uh, do need volunteers to help pull it off. And again, uh, Teresa White with us uh, this morning from the uh, Fort Finley FOP 20 Lodge Foundation. Teresa, thanks very much for the update. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Well, in his first year of existence, more than 1,800 people have served in 640 locations with Public Health AmeriCorps. It's a partnership between AmeriCorps and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention with a goal of helping to build the next generation of public health leaders. Joining us this morning is Michael D. Smith, Chief Executive Officer of AmeriCorps. Michael, tell us more about what Public Health AmeriCorps is, first of all, because this is something I had not heard of, and I am guessing that I'm not alone in that. Well, Chris, thank you so much, and thank you for helping us to spread the word. Well, to know Public Health AmeriCorps, you got to know AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps 
uh, is the federal agency for volunteering and service. We've been around for 30 years, uh, betting on the idea that people want to serve and give back to their communities. So we strengthen communities, transform lives through this power of service and civic engagement. Today, we have about 200,000 AmeriCorps members and AmeriCorps senior volunteers uh, that serve in nearly 40,000 locations all across the country, including a thousand right in Ohio. Uh, and so Public Health AmeriCorps is taking those folks that want to do something, um, but also investing in the selfless idea of service. You know, there's something about giving back, but also the selfish aspect of it as well. Through your AmeriCorps service, we're going to give you the training and the credentialing and the certifications that you need so that you can stay in the public health workforce and address uh, what CDC says is about 80,000 missing public health workers that we so desperately need uh, in our communities across the country. Which kind of gets to the next question of why this particular program within America was created. What was the impetus for this? You know, I think we all saw during the pandemic, um, you know, the pandemic exposed a lot of the, the challenges that we were already seeing in communities across the country, the disparities that were there, uh, the fragile systems that were there, uh, the missing workers that were there. But in many ways, it also exacerbated it. Um, our communities are still dealing with challenges that stem from the pandemic uh, in so many different ways. So Public Health AmeriCorps was designed to address those issues right now in the real time and the immediate, but also looking to the future to fill the holes that exist, but also hopefully changing the face of the public health system uh, so that we have public health workers that look like America, that are serving in and from the communities uh, where the needs are the greatest. So I want to talk a little bit about that from from both sides. First of all, uh, that that mission of breaking down barriers to public health careers. How does Public Health AmeriCorps Uh, fulfilled that part of the mission? You know, I think for many people who think about public health careers, it might seem daunting. You might think, okay, doctor, nurse, I I need to go to school for seven or eight years. I need this credential. Where do I go? We're meeting people where they are. We've got nonprofits and partners in a community. It will be the first CDC program that does not require a college degree. Um, We believe you you don't need it to come in. And then we're going to have a career plan. Uh, and find the right location where you can serve the right training so that you're not only changing the game for the community, but potentially changing the game for, for you and your family. And then from the community standpoint, I know uh, AmeriCorps uh, looks first and foremost at underserved communities for all of its uh, programs. And I would imagine that's the case with uh, Public Health AmeriCorps uh, as well. That's absolutely right. We are committed to going to the areas of greatest need. We're going to be in your rural communities and your tribal communities. Uh, We're going to be in low-income neighborhoods and and urban centers uh, where the needs are just the greatest and there's been a a lack of investment. And sadly, you know, we're seeing the results of that lack of investments um, on the health and life outcomes uh, of our our children, who in some cases are not expected to live as long as their grandparents uh, because of this lack of investment that we've made in communities. Uh, so that's that's where we are committing, and that's where we're going to put boots on the ground. How so? I mean, what uh, specifically uh, uh, does in what in what ways uh, does Public Health AmeriCorps serve those local underserved communities and make that difference? You know, what I love about AmeriCorps is we're not some Washington bureaucracy that's deciding what's needed in Toledo or in, in Ohio. 
Uh, we look for local nonprofits that are in communities, have been in communities for many different years, and then we provide them with the resources to, to meet the local issues. In some places, they're going to work on youth mental health, other places, food and nutrition. Some are going to work on opioid epidemics. Some are going to work in elder care. And I, I can give you a couple of examples. So, for instance, you, you've got Ocean Inc. Uh, that's going to be working uh, to support all sorts of things, whether it's immunization outreach or um, looking to improve health outcomes and support the collection of uh, critical disease control and, and quality data. Uh, we've got a great program with the Ohio State University that's been an AmeriCorps partner probably since the, the beginning. Uh, and they're going to be working to facilitate a rural and urban public health corps that's going to provide folks from underserved families uh, with what they're describing as a public health ecosystem and health education that's focused on diet and nutrition. So they are really deciding what are the local needs, and then we're giving them the resources uh, to meet those needs. And that's, uh, I think, a, a critical distinction uh, that you make. Again, what you were saying, that this is not a government program that comes in and, and sets this up. You're working with established community partners because – the the question always becomes in you know when when government comes in and sets up a program that's great but what happens when that program is over after uh, two or three years or whatever it might happen to be this is a way of building that within the community moving forward that's absolutely right and AmeriCorps since its founding has been about building the capacity of the nonprofit sector for so many nonprofit organizations. You know, we are the talent pipeline they need. I, I cannot tell you how many folks I've spoken with who said, you know, we started a nonprofit and our first uh, person that helped us get off the ground was an AmeriCorps member or how many nonprofits uh, that have hired AmeriCorps members. I think about 80% of our grantees have hired AmeriCorps members um, who have gone on to help build those organizations and in many cases run it. So this is about cap- capacity building. Uh, not about diving in and, and leaving. So we mentioned more than 1,800 people have served in 640 locations with Public Health AmeriCorps in its first year. What's the goal for the second year? So, you know, this is a $400 million partnership. We're going to continue to invest. We've moved about $180 million already. So 1,800 folks are actively enrolled right now, but we need thousands more uh, Public Health AmeriCorps members. We eventually hope to see uh, more than 10,000 Public Health AmeriCorps members. So we need folks from Ohio to enroll. Enroll today at AmeriCorps.gov. Uh, there is something out there for you. What is involved in uh, signing up and, and uh, becoming involved? You know, we make it very simple uh, for, for folks. If they go to AmeriCorps.gov, we have a Fit Finder tool. It'll ask you a few questions, where you are, what are you interested in, uh, and then it will help you find a path. And it's a short application process. Um, before before you can go on and, and find a placement. And what people should also know is through AmeriCorps service, you get a living allowance uh, so that you can keep a roof over your head and food in your belly while you're serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get an education award so that you can continue to, to pay for post-secondary education or, or take care of your, your student loans. Uh, you get your student loans uh, forbearance while, while you're serving and you get world-class training uh, and a cohort of of, of volunteers that are serving alongside you that are going to root you on every step of the way. Again, Michael D. Smith is Chief Executive Officer of AmeriCorps uh, on this first anniversary of the uh, Public Health AmeriCorps uh, Program Partnership. Mention again the website where folks can get more information. 
AmeriCorps.gov, A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S. Michael, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Appreciate you, Chris. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Okay, so I saw this story on the uh, Newswire, and it just left me absolutely flabbergasted. Here is the story. Police are investigating after an officer, a New York City police officer, accidentally discharged his firearm over the weekend. It happened in Brooklyn Sunday morning. The NYPD says a dispute between two individuals... Uh, led to one of the individuals pulling a gun on the other person. Police were called, and when they arrived, they saw the wanted individual with his weapon, uh, and they approached the car that this individual was sitting in. One of the officers, as you would expect, drew his weapon as a precaution, precaution, so... In case something uh, happened, he'd be ready. So he draws his weapon. Uh, He approaches the car, and the car speeds off, dragging the officer along with it. During the course of this, the officer's weapon went off. Because he was being dragged, his weapon went off. Fortunately, no one was hurt. No one was struck. So, you know, no, no issues there. But it's the officer who is under investigation for accidentally discharging his weapon. He was being dragged by a suspect. Uh, The cop ended up in the hospital with a shoulder injury. The suspect is still on the run, and it is the cop who is under investigation for discharging his weapon. I get it. That, you know, whenever there is a an officer, you know, discharges his weapon for whatever reason, uh, that there is an investigation. But that just sounds so bizarre to me that it is the cop. He's being dragged by a suspect down the street and his and his gun goes off. Surprise, surprise. And he's the one facing an investigation. Alrighty then. <laughs> Crazy. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, um, speaking of cops, uh, a man in Chatham County, Georgia, got the surprise of his life when he received a speeding ticket with a fine of more than a million (laughs) dollars. More than a million dollars was the fine. (laughs) I'm thinking, how fast exactly was he going? Well, the story goes on to say that Connor Cato was pulled over by a state trooper for going 90 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone. So that's, you know, that's uh, that's speeding. I mean, you know, it's almost double the posted speed limit. So I get it. The fine is going to be pretty stiff. This happened in Savannah, Georgia, by the way. He admits, Connor does, that he expected to get a ticket with a hefty fine. But $1.4 million was a bit excessive. It's a bit more than the fine he expected. <laughs> Even for 90 and a 50, uh, $1.4 million seems a bit excessive. <laughs> Mr. Cato says when he called uh, to inquire about the amount, he was told that yes, $1.4 million is correct. 
and he would either have to pay the ticket or appear in court. Uh, Court officials say it is common practice to add an exorbitant number to the fine in order to ensure that speeding drivers actually appear in court, and they say that is not what Mr. Cato will ultimately have to pay. If he appears. (laughs) Well, I suppose that's true. That is one way of making sure that you don't forget your court date. (laughs) Your fine is going to be a million, $1.4 million. That would secure my appearance. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that would definitely secure my appearance in court. Um... Speaking of traffic tickets, this in Washington, in Federal Way, Washington, uh, a local jack-in-the-box restaurant, you know, it's a fast food restaurant, they have them uh, out west and and so on, not so much around here, but jack-in-the-box restaurant sustained major damage after a driver crashed into the restaurant early Friday morning. The accident happened um, just after 1 a.m. The car smashed through the walls and windows of the restaurant and burst into flames. Uh, nobody seriously hurt. The driver and two passengers in the vehicle were able to exit uh, the vehicle and get away. Uh, Washington State Patrol says the driver was fleeing from a traffic stop at the time of the fiery crash. <laughs> it's trying to avoid a ticket and <laughs> ended up smashing into a restaurant and his car bursting into flames. Next time, just take the ticket. Just take the ticket. I mean, even if it's a $1.4 million fine, I think I would rather have the ticket than a fiery crash into the restaurant. Anyway, in other broken news, a 45-year-old man from Eagle Mountain, Utah, is facing criminal charges after allegedly, oh, I'm not, I'm sorry, it was a woman, um, apparently it was a, uh, it was a woman, Dorothy Bell Moran is her name. Uh, 45 years old. She's from Eagle Mountain, Utah, facing criminal charges after allegedly making a false res- report of a school shooting as a, as a diversion for another crime. <laughs> That's brilliant. According to court records, emergency dispatchers received a call back in May that someone armed with a semi-automatic rifle, planned to do some damage at a local high school. Police later determined the call was a hoax meant to divert attention from a series of car burglaries. The cops were tied up at the school. They couldn't go after the car burglar. Put that under the category of seemed like a brilliant plan at the time. Charges were filed on Thursday against a Ms. Moran after an extensive investigation showed the call in question about the uh, supposed school shooter came from her phone. Two suspects who had been stopped by police when the false report was made were already under arrest and facing uh, felony burglary charges. So now they've got the ringleader of this. Brilliant. Brilliant idea. Yeah. Uh, this from uh, Merry Old England, just kind of an odd uh, scenario. Try explaining this to your boss when you were late f- late for work on a Monday. Uh, police in West Mercia, is that how you pronounce it? M-E-R-C-I-A. 
America, no, uh, West Mercia, England, police responded to multiple emergency calls reporting an unconventional traffic obstacle, a bathtub in the middle of the highway. (laughs) A bathtub in the middle of the highway. Fortunately, there were no reported injuries. The roadblock was swiftly dealt with. Authorities removed the tub. But they do say it was, uh, it appeared to have been deliberately placed in the highway. They don't know by whom or for what purpose. Can you imagine trying to explain to your boss why you're late to work? I swear, there was a bathtub in the middle of the highway. (laughs) There was a bathtub in the middle of the highway. I can... (laughs) You know, if you're the boss and somebody comes to you at work and uh, uses that as an excuse for why they're late, why they're late, you you would have to believe it, wouldn't you? I mean, that would be too crazy for anyone to just make up out of thin air. You'd have no choice but to deliver. There was a bathtub in the middle of the highway. And finally, in the broken news this morning, airport security in Panama recently conducted a thorough search of an airline flight that arrived from Tampa, Florida, after receiving a bomb threat. Um, The Boeing 737 uh, had returned to the airport, apparently was en route to Tampa from Panama. It was taken off from Panama, it was heading to Tampa, had to turn around and land back in Panama uh, due to reports of a possible bomb on board. Upon landing, the aircraft was moved to an isolated area of the tarmac, all 144 passengers were safely evacuated, and um, a specialized anti-explosives team meticulously inspected the airplane. When the suspicious object was found in one of the plane's lavatories, it turned out to be not a bomb, but an adult diaper. <laughs> That's all it was, was an adult diaper. Jose Castro, head of the airport security team, said, We had it on a secure runway where police special explosives canine units and special forces examined the object, and we found it to not be a risk. So no explosives in the adult diaper. Everyone is safe. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Lance with OSU Extension. It's harvest season. Drivers will be sharing roads with combines and grain hauling vehicles. Please be alert, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this fall to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Just over half of U.S. teens in a recent Gallup poll was published on Friday, just over half of U.S. teens say that they spend at least four hours a day on social media sites. Uh, They found 51% of teens average 4.8 hours a day. Now, it does vary by age group. The average time spent on social media 
for a 13-year-old is around 4.1 hours, about 5.8 hours a day for 17-year-olds. And girls spend nearly an hour more on social media than boys, 5.3 versus 4.4 hours, respectively. But before you start to think that that's way too much, it is way too much, but before you get too critical on teenagers, I want to take a look in the mirror. According to a separate survey of 8,000 small business employees, the average worker spends almost 11 hours a week just drafting emails. Employees draft about 112 emails per week and spend five and a half minutes on each one. So you do the math. It's 11 hours a week. Respondents say they think their emails are only completely read and comprehended, though, about one third of the time. They're spending 11 hours a week on this, and only one third of those are actually being read. Workers are also guilty of skimming over emails. 57% say if an email is too long, they won't read the whole thing. 53% believe their company uses email because it's the way business has always been done. We do it this way because we've always done it this way. Companies that adopt more efficient ways for their employees to communicate are freeing up time for more productive, meaningful work. I just found that fascinating. 11 hours a week drafting emails. So, happening around town, Pierce's Crew Foundation, which is a local organization providing financial assistance to special needs kids and their families, hosting a Halloween-themed fundraiser later this month at the Hancock Hotel. And joining us this morning is Heather Waite. She is founding director of Pierce's Crew Foundation. Heather, first of all, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me. So talk a little bit about Pierce's Crew Foundation itself, uh, what it is, what you do, and kind of the background on this. Um, The background on it is, you know, I just had this vision of uh, starting this because, you know, of my own children um, needing assistance, can't finding it, you know, and feeling the pinch of, you know, therapies and programs that they needed. Um, my son, one of my sons has autism and, um, he was in need of, you know, those therapies and programs and they get, mm-hmm. they can get very costly. You know, that's one of the things that, uh, there's much greater recognition these days of the challenges that autism brings, not just for, uh, kids with autism, but for the families. Um, and with that recognition, there are, therapies there are programs that are available but as you mentioned what people don't always realize is that there is a cost that goes along with that and it can start to get prohibitive i would imagine fairly quickly yeah it really does you know if you add you know your medical costs and then you start adding your programs and therapies you know um you know if your child is is doing horseback riding or you know music therapy art therapy um needing speech therapy or occupational therapy you know those things um, 
are usually a weekly thing, and those add up really fast over yeah. a month's time. Well, and, and I would imagine that has to be heartbreaking uh, to have to make those decisions about what you can allow your kids to get involved in and, and explore. I mean, for any parent, that's that's really difficult. But again, when you add in all the extra layers that go along with dealing with special needs such as autism, uh, it just becomes uh, that, that extra burden. Yeah, exactly. It really does. You know, as any parent knows, you know, you want to do everything you can for your child. And when you add that layer of autism or any kind of special need, Mm -hmm. Down syndrome, dyslexia, whatever it may be, um, it's you just want to do whatever you can. And when you have to make those decisions on what can I do, what can I not, you know, you really want to look towards resources and stuff and that's why i started pierce's crew so how does this work the uh foundation and how do you provide this uh financial assistance for these families uh we have applications online um they apply and then we have scholarship reviews um every quarter uh so we review all the you know review scholarships and uh you know help out where we can uh so yeah it's just an application online it's it's not income-based or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just apply, provide the information that we need, and then, you know, we decide, you know, so, what we can do and so, stay within our mission. Yeah. So do you work with, with certain agencies or certain programs specifically, or is this kind of uh, wide open for whatever opportunities that families find themselves prevented with, uh, presented with, but maybe are struggling to find the funding to, you know, uh, involve their kids? We keep it pretty open. Um, right now, we're limited, you know, locally to Hancock and surrounding counties. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actual programs, we kind of keep an open mind, but we also make sure we stay within our mission statement. Um, you know, we find a lot of times that people are coming in with, you know, music therapy or horseback riding or, you know, kind of social group or, mm-hmm. you know, camp or something. Uh, every once in a while, we'll get a little something a little different and, you know, we sit and discuss it as a, you know, a board and figure out, you know, as long as it stays within our mission, if we can assist those people. Well, I would imagine that's also encouraging uh, because there are always new therapies, new programs uh, that that emerge that uh, may be able to help a, a young person where uh, other programs have maybe not as well. And so being open to those new ideas uh, obviously presents new opportunities. Correct. Exactly. You know, sometimes, you know, parents are just, you know, trying to find what works for their child. And, you know, we don't limit that, you know, we only assist in these areas. You know, Mm -hmm. we try to, you know, have an open mind and, you know, if this is something that works for them. And like I said, it's got to fall within our mission statement. So we, you know, find that can be difficult sometimes. But, um, yeah, we always try to stay open to that. So... Uh, obviously, the only way that you can uh, do this and provide these scholarships uh, is through fundraising. And as we mentioned, you have a fundraiser coming up later this month at the uh, Hancock Hotel. It's got kind of a, a Halloween theme to it. Give us all of the details on this. Yes, our handbags and hocus pocus. We added Halloween <laughs> to our purse bingo to kind of make it a fun night out. Uh, so this year we're having it at the Hancock Hotel, uh, Friday, October 27th. 
Uh, tickets are $55 in advance, and you can order those uh, on our website. Um, we do still have some tickets left, mm-hmm. but they are dwindling fast. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so the uh, the evening, uh, what includes uh, dinner, and uh, what else is on the agenda? Uh, there's dinner, and then we'll have the bingo. There's uh, raffles. Uh, we'll okay. have um, a costume contest for those who do dress up. Uh, you know, fifty-fifty, all of those things that are involved. Um, so it'll it'll be really a fun night. And again, this is coming up on the twenty-seventh. So uh, here in just uh, about a week and a half or so, there are still some tickets left. How do folks get those tickets? Uh, just go to our website, piercescrew.org. Uh, go to events, uh, and it's it's right under there. Okay, and. Uh, the same website for those who want to learn more about Pierce's Crew Foundation. Uh, again, you're relatively new, uh, so some folks may not necessarily be aware of, of all it is that you do and, and how you help. So if if somebody uh, is uh, in need or interested in learning more, uh, the uh, website is one way. How else uh, can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can email info at pierceswithcrew.org or uh, our phone number is on the website. You can give me a call. All right, very good. Again, uh, Heather Wade is the founding director of Pierce's Crew Foundation, as we mentioned, a local organization providing financial assistance to special needs kids and their families. We've got a link up on our webpage at goodmornings.net for more about it. And Heather, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests once again for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.